Good morning. Welcome to Wyatt Baptist Church. You can turn, go ahead and turn your Bibles to uh, Zephaniah as we continue to make our way through uh, the minor prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, as you're doing that, I just want to mention just something that just blessed my heart this morning. We're just thinking about this week, this past week. We had um, over 30 uh, youth uh, on the mission field in Tennessee. Uh, share, boldly sharing the gospel, as Josh already indicated. Uh, then we had a team of over 30, um, also in the reservation of New Mexico, uh, doing a Bible school for the Indian children uh, on the reservation. And back here in El Dorado, uh, we had uh, people meeting for seven days of prayer, interceding for Nicaragua, uh, and the difficulty uh, that our brothers and sisters are experiencing there. And not to mention just people that are, we're on mission here in El Dorado as you do from week in and week out. And I was just blessed to think about, though we are a church of, of average or at, at the most maybe a little above average uh, in attendance, uh, we are anything but average. You are anything but average when it comes to your willingness to go, your willingness to answer the call to minister to others and uh, it blessed my heart as a pastor. I think sometimes I take that for granted because this is the only uh, church since I graduated from Bible college, the only church that I've been at. Sometimes I, I think I just kind of think everyone's like this, but I know that's not the case, that uh, you are a, a people uh, that are willing to go or willing, uh, and, and willing to, uh, to move uh, into action for the nations and our own nation, and I'm just thankful for that. I just wanted to take a moment. Uh, just to say how much that blesses my heart. I think it should bless uh, all of our hearts. Be sure and be back tonight uh, for our Covenant Family Night. That's one of two we're having this summer, uh, and you'll get to hear uh, about a couple of uh, ministries that are going on that you may even be able to uh, be a part of. And so I encourage you uh, to be back as, as well as for the Lord's Supper uh, and a fellowship to follow. Uh, please make every effort to, to be back tonight for that special Covenant Family time. So Zephaniah, a um, little background on, on Zephaniah in this book. Uh, a lot of the, uh, the, the minor prophets are just, we know their names, right? And there's not much introduction about who they are. Um, but Zephaniah uh, starts off with a genealogy and kind of talks about his lineage. And uh, there's probably a good reason for that because Hezekiah that's mentioned here in his lineage is probably the great king Hezekiah. Uh, and so he is sharing his lineage so that they will know that he is of noble birth, that he has royalty in his blood. And it's, uh, it's also likely that this is why in the book we have him really mention kind of some injustices that are happening in the uh, upper echelon of society uh, because it's probably how, where he was raised and where he kind of mingles with people. And so uh, he directs uh, a lot of criticism uh, to those type of people. Uh, he prophesied during the reign of Josiah. Now, if you know anything about the kings of, uh, of, of uh, Israel, you know that there wasn't, weren't a lot of good kings. Uh, but Josiah was actually one of the good ones. He is the one that uh, made many reforms to try to cast out uh, idolatry from the country. Uh, it's even speculated that possibly... Uh, this prophecy of Zephaniah might have been some fodder that caused Josiah to do some of these reforms. He may have 
read of these prophecies and, and uh, tried to obey them to avoid the uh, great judgment that we have recorded for us here. So kind of given an outline, uh, we have in the first chapter is God's judgment towards Judah, uh, God's judgment towards his own people. Uh, chapter 2 is about the surrounding nations and the judgment uh, of them. And then chapter 3 uh, closes out with some of the most um, wonderful and affectionate words you can find in Scripture. It's always amazing to me. Uh, we find that a lot in the Minor Prophets, right? We, we see that because a lot of people, they want a God of wrath, a God of justice, a God that will judge everyone. Uh, and then others, they kind of want a God that just loves everyone and there's no judgment in Him. What we find in the Minor Prophets is like a God that just does not fit in our boxes. It doesn't easily fit into our categories because... Like in this book, we have just some of the harshest words of judgment you find in the Bible right next to a closing that is absolutely beautiful and encouraging to the people of God. I want to read, uh, start off by reading verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and then we'll kind of survey the whole book, and then we'll come back uh, to these three verses. Chapter 2, verse 1. It says, gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before uh, there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands, seek righteousness seek humility perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the lord let's pray one more time dear heavenly father god help us to to take these words of so to just sober our souls and the, the the dreadfulness of your judgment and god also help us to hope in the things that are mentioned here of your great love that you sing over your people god help us to bring these two together to make us a more holy people uh, from this great prophecy in jesus name i pray amen uh, first i want to look at some things that it says about god's judgment uh, first i want you to know that no one can endure god's judgment it's it's wrathful, it's painful, it is devastating. Chapter 1, verse 2 says this, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast, I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Verse 17, I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against their Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Not a pleasant word about God's wrath. A very fearful word about God's wrath. I was... Uh, of course, uh, my family was among the crew that went to New Mexico. And that's a long drive. And I listened to 
a 14-hour book, an audio book on the Battle of Gettysburg, the Civil War battle. And I was just so appalled and, and just disturbed by these first-hand accounts of the Battle of Gettysburg and just thinking about the, the devastation that man can wreak with its cannons, with its artillery, with, the, with that type of artillery and with the muskets, the dead horses that, that, that were littered across the field that were just piled up and not to mention the thousands of men who lost their life there and spilled their blood on that horrible battle. You think about the, the devastation then and, and what uh, war is now and, and the amazing devastation uh, all the more that can be caused in war because of the great horrible tools of war. And yet none of it, none of it comes close to the power of God to wreak havoc. It's nothing. The battlefields of man cannot, cannot hold a candle to the fiery wrath of a God who is angry. So we see in, in, in this prophecy the great devastating effects of God's wrath on man. We also see that no one exists outside of God's judgment. Notice in verse 4 that, that God starts with his own people. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal in the name of the idolatrous priest among, uh, along with the priest. And so a lot of times we want to think that, hey, we're God's people. We go to church. I'm a member of Wyatt Baptist Church, and so, therefore, I'm safe from God's wrath. Or I, I call myself a Christian, so I'm safe from God's wrath. You better be very careful and, and, and make sure that you are not just on the church roll, that you're not just someone that says, I belong to God, because there will be those who really look like God's people that, that say that they're God's people that will endure amazing, horrible wrath. He starts with his own people. He starts with the people that are supposed to be those who believe in God. His special people, and yet his wrath, as it begins to work through the nations, he starts with his very own people. So often we think the problem is out there. The problem is those outside of the church. That's, that's the problem. And yet God says, my problem is with my own people who ought to know better. And God then takes uh, this judgment um, to, the, um, to the nations around Israel. We see, if you read chapter 2, we won't take time to do this, but it really follows almost like a compass. It starts in a, in a certain direction and then works around the compass to all of the surrounding nations of, uh, that surround Israel. A lot of times people think, well, that's, that's their God. It's not our God. That's Israel's God. And so God 
God deals with his people, our God deals with, with us. No, God's authority is to all nations because he's the only living God. He's the only real God. And then chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, just a general judgment for all the nations. Make no mistake, God's authority is unending. It is not, it is not no borders. It is not no citizenship. It is God's judgment belongs to all peoples. We also see from here that no one can hide from God's judgment. Verse 12, at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the man uh, the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will n- not do good, nor will he do ill. So it says here that God, and it, obviously God's not going to use a literal lamp or flashlight, but what it's saying is, is that God will see every corner. He will see every sin. He will see every heart. He will shine the light of his judgment and reveal all things you cannot hide from the wrath from the judgment of God you can't do it his judgment will find you like a searchlight that shows every corner of darkness that there is so will God's judgment be we see no one can buy off God's judgment Verse 18, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. And so there'll be those who, hey, I got money. And God says, I don't care. There'll be, there will be those who say, well, I'm a king. And God will say, I don't care. I'm the king of kings. It doesn't matter what your status on the earth is. I can't be bought off. My wrath is coming and no amount of money and no amount of status can make you avoid the wrath that's coming. And yet, in the midst of a book that is the majority just absolute, horrible, um, horrific judgment, we have just an amazing testimony of a remnant of hope that will come out of this. We learn that as all of this destruction is happening, we we realize at the end of the book that that destruction of evil is leading to something very special. And that is, it's not just destruction, it's purification. And that as all evil and all evil men are cast away and judged by God and destroyed, there will emerge a people that belong to God. Verses uh, 9 and 10 of chapter 3, it it tells us it's going to be a multitude from nations, all nations. For at that time I will change the speech of the people to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord the peoples 
From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offerings. So God's going to gather a people, and we know from uh, Ephesians chapter one, ver- uh, chapters one, two, and three that He's going to unite this people under Christ. And look at verse sixteen in chapter three. Beautiful, amazing, affectionate words from God about this remnant. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Think about that. That God will sing over this remnant that came out of this purification process brought on by His wrath. He will sing over His people. What a song that will be when we who are redeemed will hear our God sing over us. He goes on to say in verse 18, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. And at that time I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. So we have this people emerge after the judgment that are the redeemed of God, these that He sings over, that He turns them from outcast into the people of His love, the people of His possession, the, the people that all the nations rejected, that are, they now praise this remnant. The I think the the meaning of the name Zephaniah really points to this central theme in the book, and that is to hide. Zephaniah means to hide. So the question I think this book should bring forth is, how do I hide from the wrath of God so that I can emerge as the redeemed of God, as uh, as one of the ones to whom He sings over? And I think we have that, a glimpse of that in chapter 2 with the text we read at the beginning of this sermon. Chapter 2, verse 3. I want to read uh, that verse again. It says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do His just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Let me walk through these four things one by one and you'll have the message. First it says, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Judah had had failed to do this. Verse 5, it says, those who bow down and swear to the Lord 
and yet swear to Milcom, who was uh, uh, the god of the Ammonites. Those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of Him. They don't, they don't, they no longer seek God. Verse 8, and on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in the foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold. And so it says that those who have, they, it's not just about the fact that they have on foreign clothes, okay? I don't think God hates it when, if we wear clothes that are maybe from a different culture. I think it, it is a, re, a revelation of their heart that they had really put on more than clothes. They had put on the gods of these foreigners. Uh, it says here, it says that those who jump the threshold, who leap over the threshold, and uh, we don't know exactly what that means, but it's likely some type of superstition that was attached to a different god uh, that maybe you stepped over, your, you didn't want to step right in your doorway, kind of like don't step on the cracks, uh, your mom breaks your back, that kind of thing. Um, or maybe knock on wood, uh, just silly superstitions. And God said, you've adopted that. You've adopted these foreign gods and, and, and the things associated with the foreign gods, you don't seek the Lord. Let us, if we want to be those who are hidden on the day of God's wrath, let us be those who seek the Lord. You see here that, hey, they, they still worship God, right? We keep seeing that. That's over and over again in our They still worship God. It's just that they also worship Baal. They also worship Moloch. They worship these other gods. Just give me a little bit of God. Give me a little bit. Give, give me a little bit of our God. Give me a little bit of these other gods. Hearts that are divided into a hundred different ways will not be hidden from the wrath of God. God doesn't save those who are just trying to hedge their bets on as many gods as possible. When we see, uh, you know, we live in a world of, of inclusive, inclusivity where, where people say, well, you know, it's all, we're all headed to the same place religiously. It's just different roads to get to the same place. And nowhere is that taught in Scripture. We see with Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus never went to people and said, hey, throw a little bit of me in with your religion. Throw a little bit of me in with your worship. No, he was, Christ himself demanded, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That you have to seek the Lord. That you don't hedge your bets on a hundred gods. You have to let all that go and pursue the one God through the Christ that He gave us. Let us be those who seek God and Him alone. We see in here that He talks about those who uh, might be hidden from the wrath of God or those who seek to be obedient. We see the verse 3, it says, who do His just commands. Who do His just commands. Who don't just talk about His commands but who do His commands. 
And Judah and its surrounding nations were not following the Lord. They were not obeying them. Verse 6, those who have turned back from following the Lord. Verse 9, those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. Chapter 3, verse 1, woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust the Lord. They were not keeping the commands of God. They weren't obeying them. They were following the customs of their gods, of of, of their God and everybody else's God. They were trying to obey all the gods and really, chapter 3, verse 1 says they really weren't obeying any of them. They were a disobedient people. It is only those who seek to do God's commands that can have confidence that they belong to God. I want you to understand something. I'm not saying that our obedience to God is what saves us, but I'm definitely saying that our obedience to God is the evidence that God has saved us. It is where we can look at for evidence to to know that we do belong to God, to have confidence that we will be hidden from His wrath, is that we obey Him. When you look at the film strip of your life, okay? You take a picture of all of our lives at some points and we're going to look like disobedient unbelievers. But but on on the film strip, when you look at the film strip of your life, you see someone who truly desires to obey God that pursues doing what he has said to do and to not do the things that he has said to not do we do it as Eugene Peterson uh, the phrase he coined a long obedience in the same direction this is where uh confidence that we can be hidden from the wrath of God comes from it's by looking at God's work in our life and our sanctification and how he's growing us it's a sign that we are being held by God when we have a life that seeks to obey him and it says those who seek righteousness those who seek righteousness I think it's important that we kind of distinguish here what, how you pursue righteousness because the Scripture tells us there's different ways to pursue different types of righteousness. We can seek our own righteousness. Romans 10.3 tells us about this, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own they did not su- submit to God's righteousness. And so sometimes we say, hey, I need to seek righteousness. We just say, okay, well, I just need to act right. I need to just pull myself up by my bootstraps and act right. I need to have good behavior. The first lesson in righteousness and seeking righteousness is realizing that you don't have it or at least you don't have a righteousness that can save you when romans 10 says this 
this righteousness of your own making, that's what the Bible talks about when it says, your righteousness is as filthy rags. Righteousness of, of things that you have done and behavior that you have modified to try to win God's approval, it's nothing but filthy rags, and it will not save you on the day of God's wrath. Romans 3.21 tells us about the righteousness that saves us from God's wrath, that hides us from God's wrath. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction so we are to seek righteousness by realizing that we have to go after a righteousness that's outside of ourselves. It's an alien righteousness. It's not our righteousness that will save us. It is the righteousness of Christ and His perfect life and His death for us on the cross. That is the righteousness that we seek that will lead to us being hidden on the day of wrath from that wrath of God. To seek the righteousness that comes from Christ and not of yourselves. And fourthly, seek humility. And this is actually mentioned twice in, in verse 3. It says, seek ye God, you humble of the land. So it's the people that are going uh, to be hidden from God's wrath are those that are characterized as the humble of the land. And then, to close out the verse, he says, those who seek humility. For Judah, God had become very small in their eyes. It is described in verse one, in, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, as this. Though they're described as those who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or either bad. Or, or bad. Either good or bad. God's not going to do anything. They had developed this this thinking in their life that, you know what, we're on our own. God's not going to reward us when we do good. He's not going to punish us when we do evil. We are going to do what we're going to do, and it's going to be us that does it. If we're going to make anything of ourselves, we're going to make it. Us. Usism. Folks, that is as anti-gospel as you can possibly get. To say, I'm going to help myself because it's all up to me and God's not coming to my rescue. He's not going to reward me. He's not going to punish me. I'm on my own. That's anti-gospel. The good news of the gospel is that Christ has done everything. He's done everything. So that your job in salvation is simply to humble yourself under the realization of it's all of Christ. I cannot do it. I have no righteousness on my own. 
I have no works that make me savable. The only thing that I contribute to my salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. There is no salvation without humility. Tell me a way to, to, to flee to Christ in pride. Without humility, there is wrath. It's all you're going to get is wrath if you refuse to humble yourself and say, you know what? I can't do it. I cannot do it. The gospel says you cannot and you will not seek God. You will not obey God. You're not going to seek His righteousness. You must humble yourselves and realize that salvation is of God and God alone. I don't know how God's calling you to respond to Him this morning. Maybe you've, you've never humbled yourself before God. You've never known His salvation. The only way that you can be hidden from God's wrath is to humble yourself before the Lord and receive the work of Christ. And maybe you're, uh, as a Christian, you just haven't been living a very humble life. You haven't been, you've been living bootstrap theology of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and making your own way, forgetting that God is a God who rewards and God is a God who punishes. Let God move in you to make you a more humble Christian because there really is no other way to be a Christian meant to be a humble one because it is through God's work and not our own that we're saved. Please stand as our musicians come. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And you respond however God has spoken to you through His Word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank You so much that you are a God of wrath, but at the same time, you're a God that sings over your people. You're a God that can punish the evildoer, but at the same time, sing over those you've made righteous. And God, help us to respond to you, to your word, to be people that are humble not as Judah and the nations were here that had stopped following you, but those who realize that you're, my, you're our only hope and pursues, help us to pursue you with all that we are.